What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the America's Pastime Podcast, episode 188. Jeremy here with Mike and Travis to take you through another top 10 fantasy list. This will be our top 10 fantasy shortstops. A very deep list, just as the third base list was. Make sure you go back and check out that episode and all of our other lists that we've been pumping out over here the last few weeks. But let's get into these shortstops. So going first to Mike, who are your 10 through 6 top 10 shortstops? So uh, at 10th, I have Tim Anderson, 9th, Francesco Lindor, 8, Trevor Story, 7, Corey Seager, and 6, Wander Franco. At 10, I've got Javier Baez, 9, I've got Tim Anderson, 8, Trevor Story, 7, Corey Seager, 6, Carlos Correa. At 10, I have Willie Adamas. At 9, I have Wander Franco. At 8, I have Francisco Lindor. At 7, I have Brandon Crawford. And at 6, I have Bo Bichette. All right, so we got a lot of variability here. Starting off with, we'll go to Travis. He's the only guy to have Javier Baez on his list. Why did you include Baez on your list, Travis? Um, for me, I thought, you know, I get the strikeouts and everything like that. Um, for me, it was between him and Willie Adamas and just looking, comparing the two of them. Um, I didn't really like Adamas that much more than, um, Baez, like even looking at his splits between, uh, the pre-all-star and post-all-star, which is, I, I know he got traded to the Brewers kind of in that pre-all-star stage, but he wasn't really that much better in terms of the strikeouts. That was, that's the biggest thing that I guess could differentiate somebody from Baez because he did strike out 184 times in 2021, which is absolutely insane. Um, but I mean, Adam is still finished the season with 156, which is still quite a lot. And when you look at the pre all-star and post all-star um, his splits, the strikeout rate isn't really that much different. Um, between the two of them so I know he did improve a lot going to Milwaukee he was actually able to hit at home which was huge um, but you know for me the plate discipline didn't improve that drastically uh, and I get you know over a smaller sample size he's going to strike out less and whatever but when you average it out per at bat um, it doesn't really um, change that much and also, so that was really the thing that was going to differentiate him from Javier Baez. Baez has more home runs, more RBIs. Um, you know, their their walk percentage is pretty similar. I know Baez's uh, walk percentage is, you know, terrible, only 5%. Um, Adama's is 10%. Um, but again, there wasn't really that big of a change between... Um, there wasn't really that much of a difference between his pre-all-star and post-all-star and then again just kind of bias with he's got more of the you know the home runs the rbis the doubles um i believe he had more hits as well um so just from that front i was trying to compare the two of them and you know the the plate discipline would have been the deciding factor between bias and adamas and i wanted to put adamas on my list but I just couldn't really put him over Baez because I didn't think he was that much better than Baez to, to knock him off the list, if that makes sense. 
Mike, what are your thoughts on bias and why did you leave him off the list as I did? Um, so uh, you had Adamas. Adamas was the 11th guy for me, uh, with Baez, you know, just in that next as well. The reason why I didn't include Baez is like, uh, I kind of was just going putting his number side by side with Anderson and like TA offers. Well, one, I think he's like, he's always in the, like a table sitter at the top of the lineup. So he's just going to get automatically more at bats, which just gives him more opportunities to get like the hits he has, and they both have like that crappy uh, walk rate, but Anderson strikes out less, which gives him a notch there. He's uh, like a big stolen base threat still. I know Baez can, he's still fast, but Anderson does actively steal. Um, the RBIs is really Anderson's weakest suit, but he still can drive in 20 home runs, still has the doubles, still get two triples. It's just the fact that he's at the top of that powerhouse lineup with the um, White Sox, like he's going to score a lot of runs, get a lot of hits, get some base, steal bases. So the fact he does everything this is just why T.A. is going to be on the list. And for Baez, he's, you know, he strikes out a lot, doesn't really walk. And, yes, he has a lot of pop, but at a position at this deep, this deep you can't just hit home runs and, and what not to be on the list because even last year he still had, like, like, I don't think he had less than 20 doubles. So, I don't know. Baez, is, while he's still so good, I just I think there's so many other better shortstops that, give you like a more value in other places i get your point with the doubles that makes sense and the extra base hits but when you look at the stolen bases they're not too far off between him and anderson like yeah bias had 18 in 2021 anderson had 18 if you go back to 2020 anderson had five bias had three i believe so i mean there's not too big of a difference there in 2019 bias had 11 uh, Anderson had 17. So yeah, a difference of eight, but I mean, it's not like Baez only stole like five bases in 2019, 26 for Baez in 2018 and, um, or sorry, 26 for Anderson in 2018 and 21 for Baez in, in 2018. So yes, Anderson steals more bases and I get those eight stolen bases or whatever the differences can add up, but it's not like Baez isn't stealing bases at all. And he still has yeah. that speed and everything. So to say that he's not stealing bases is a little well, bit I, incorrect just because. I, said, he, okay. I, I think, sorry, I, I'm just going to butt in here for a second. I, I think that part of the reason why I have Adamus over both of those guys is that Adamus is only going to be 26 years old. And he, if you look at, you know, some of his metrics in terms of hard hit percentage, uh, expected slugging percentage, his walk percentage, that's the, that's, that's a key for me. That's, that's something that neither Tim Anderson nor Javier Baez bring to the table. They're both pretty putrid in terms of that plate discipline. And it, and for fantasy purposes, in terms of walks to strikeouts, I, I think, Travis, you put it this way. It's almost this basket where you combine the two and then you get an output, whether it's going to be, you know, for Baez, that's minus 150, uh, give or take on, on an average season. But for Adamas, that was more minus 100. I think there is, again, there's room for improvement there. There's a lot of potential still left in Willie Adamas. If you look at some, stati- some statistics such as his ISO, well, Willie Adamas had a 219 ISO. Javier Baez, we, we think of all oh, this, this great power hitter. His ISO was only point, it was only 0.01 higher than that of Willie Adamas. And then I just think that, again, 
Anderson and Baez bring a very similar output and and skill set to the table. And I don't see either of them really improving on that, considering that they're both a little bit older. And something else with Tim Anderson that is concerning is he frequently suffers from hamstring injuries, leg injuries, soft tissue injuries. And if we look at, let's say, 2019, played 123 games. Well, that's close to 40 games that he's missing. 2020, even, he missed 11 games. 2021, he missed uh, – 2021, again, he, he only played 123 games. That's concerning for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that too, but with TA, he's still giving you, like, as much at-bats as those guys, maybe slightly less. Like, 94 runs scored last year, 163 hits. Like, he gets a ton of extra base hits still. It's to stolen bases and like his you told me like his plus minus strikeouts to walks. He's also at the same like minus one hundred as Adamas. And yeah, he maybe not approved, but how many guys in the league are hitting like three twenty two, which if you combine his stats from the last three years, like he still he's hitting has a batting average of three twenty two. Yeah, exactly. So on on the nose when you combine them. And that's that part of, of his game is kind of what separates him. Yeah, like, I mean, the, the way I look at Anderson is, yes, he plays less games, but he's still producing at a similar level to other guys. I, I guess if you're going to compare him to Baez, you know, he might not be producing exactly the same in every single um, category, but he's still producing in those less games to a certain, like, to the at almost the same level as other guys. Um, so that's why I think he still deserves to be on this list because even if he does put up, you know, 153 game season, like he did in 2018, he's still going to be that much more valuable. Right. Um, and I yeah. mean, he is only 28. So I get the hamstring injuries are concerning, but he does have time to rebound and it's not like he's, you know, 32 and the hamstring injuries are only going to get worse. Uh, and then the last thing I want to add on top of that is that, if you want to look at uh, last season, he played the least game, sure, but he's also still worth the most war. So, I mean, like, the value he provides is still, like, insane, and, and that you can't go well, up uh, injury, like, injury by injury the season. Well, that, you can't just... that includes defense, too, which is not what we're considering here. Yeah, and Adamas is an elite shortstop defensively, and Baez is pretty good as well. I mean, then you would have to look specifically at how much of that war comes from their offense and from their defense instead of just we, – we, we can't just assume that that he gets – that Tim Anderson gets less defensive war than okay. William Thomas does to so, improve that value. Okay, so in 2021, Baez has got 2.3 offensive war and 0.8 defensive war. Uh, Thomas has 3.7 offensive war and 0.3 defensive war. And Tim Anderson had a 4.5 offensive war and one defensive war. Okay. So, so then, he's at, uh, yeah, he's, so there's a, I think there, uh, just based on what I'm seeing, if you look at weighted runs create a plus as well, is that Anderson and Adamas are just simply better options than Baez. I, I would be far more open to leaving Baez off than I would either Anderson or Adamas age, age wise. And then also in terms of the lineups that they're hitting in I, I, and, and the ballparks that they play in, Baez is now going to play in Detroit with Comerica, which is not a hitter's park. That's another mitigating factor for me, for him. Yeah, that's why when I was, when I first started off, like I had TA just above Adames, but then I, I have both of those guys above Baez in terms of fantasy like production. Yeah. 
So that, I agree that bias is off, but I, I think that TA also still gets a nod over Adamas. And that's, I, I just, that's more so just of how deep the position is. And I just think that TA is going to provide more as a, like an overall player. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. He, I mean, again, even in weighted runs created plus, for example, he was slightly better than Adamas and he's shown consistent. He's shown a lot more of a body of work slightly more of a body of work than Adamas has and what you're going to get from TA. So I think he's more of a, a safe pick there, but, and then looking at so, some other guys in this back half that we have some differences in Trevor's story is a guy who I decided to leave off my list. And then I had Brendan Crawford on my list and doesn't look like either of you guys had Brendan Crawford on your list. I don't think that it, it's, it's a case where both it's either one or the other, but I find it hard to leave Brandon Crawford off of this list, considering that if you combine his last two seasons, granted they are age 33 and 34, which is why he's so far down this list, but he has a 134 OPS plus over the last two seasons, 192 games at that. So he stayed very healthy, 287, 361, 507 slash line for an 868 OPS, 32 home runs, 118 RBIs over those 192 games. And his strikeout to walk ratio is much better than any of the three guys that we just talked about. So again, he is going to be 35, which does take away from a lot of what he brings to the table. But I don't think you can leave Crawford off of this top 10 list just based on what he did offensively last season, even the season before that in the shortened season. Um, my, my thing with Crawford is like, I was watching a bunch of videos in him and like the adjustments he made, which is uh, part of um, why he had that great season. It's just when, when I looked at his page, like I, I was able to acknowledge obviously how elite of a 20, uh, 2021 season he had. It's just like that, that production is such an outlier compared to the rest of his career in terms of like OPS, WRC, um, like those are um, a very important stats, and when I look at him being an age like now thirty-five shortstop, um, it's very hard for me to imagine that he has another one hundred and forty OPS plus season. And that's to say that he can't be on the list. Like, I'll be fine if he found his way on the back half of this list, but really no higher than like even like eight, nine, or ten if he's gonna make it on the list. I think that his skill set is something that is worthy of being on here, but it's, it's just, we have so many elite guys too. It's just, it's so hard to really narrow it down. And for me, I was willing to leave off a guy who was going to be as old as he is. I believe he's the oldest shortstop on this list by a decent age margin. Yeah. Like, especially with the guys I have, I think the oldest guy I have, honestly, might be like Lindor. He's no, no, Lindor is 28. Trevor Story, I think is 30 now. I think he might be the oldest guy on this list. Other than that, so it just shows how deep the position is. What do you think, Travis? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of agree with Mike where it's an outlier. Um, you know, his his twenty twenty one performance. I mean, the last time he reached more than twenty home runs was twenty fifteen. Um, he's never reached ninety RBIs before. Uh, his strikeouts are down and his walks are up for the most part, which is good to see. The average is up and everything else that's sort of fantasy relevant. Hits are pretty consistent, honestly. He was just making better contact and having better results with, um, you know, the the outcome is contact. Um, but yeah, the fact that he is going to be twenty five and the fact that thirty five, thirty five. Sorry, that's what I meant. 
Um, and, and the fact that most of the other guys on this list are under the age of 30 and still, you know, in the middle of their prime, I, I think a lot of the guys on this list are going to get better. And I'm not sure how much better he can get. Um, and if you look at the, a lot of the guys on the back half of this list already, like I, I know stories, uh, you know, we, we all didn't have story, but in 2018 and 2019, the guy was one of the best shortstops in baseball. Um, if you take out the, the plate discipline, um, and you know, yes, he's fallen off over the past couple of seasons, but I stick, I still think he is as good as Brandon Crawford, um, you know, in, in stories, how old I think we said, yeah, 29, 30 and Crawford's 35. So, uh, and, you know, we talked about Tim Anderson. Yeah, the power is not there to an extent, but he still makes up for it in other categories as well. So I, I'm not sure how much better Crawford's going to get. Um, well, I think most of the other guys on this list are going to continue to improve and get better than Crawford. Um, I, I think Crawford deserves consideration for the list, but I don't know if he can sneak his way on. And, um, you know, one guy that I didn't have on my list, and I'll admit that I... I forgot about him, Wander Franco. I think, honestly, Franco, I would put him on the list over Crawford and Baez as well, um, just because of the raw potential that he has. And I understand the fact that he's only played half a season in a deep position like this. He might not, um, you know, be, uh, you know, um, he, you, you guys might not say that he deserves to be on the list, but um, I, I do think he deserves to be on the back half just because of what he can be. And the fact that the Rays are committing, uh, what, $200 million to him um, really shows how special the talent he will be. And, you know, again, the power is not going to be there, but the hit tools there, the speeds there, everything else is there. And he's still going to hit like 20 plus home runs a season. I seriously think he could reach 30 as well. Like he's, he's going to be good. So um, there, there's a few guys who I would put on the list over Crawford um, just for, for a few reasons, because they're either having a down year and they're just better than him in terms of potential or age or yeah, like that sort of thing, if that makes sense. So where I'm going here with Crawford is the fact that his, what his performance last season was legitimate and that the underlying metrics show that he can repeat it to some extent and he could at the very least be someplace in between what he put up in 2020 where he had a 115 OPS plus and 2021 where he had a 141 OPS plus he could, he could sit somewhere in the 125 to 130 OPS plus range. If we look at some of these metrics that I'm speaking of in terms of hard hit percentage, he rated as he rated as the ninth, the ninth best out of all shortstops. And that includes the aforementioned Javier Baez, Willie Adamas, even Ahmed Rosario is finding his way on here. And yeah, obviously Ahmed Rosario is not going to be on our list, but in terms of the guys that are going to be on our list that are in consideration, he's right up there and in the top five or six range amongst those guys. He also rates very highly in expected weighted on base average to show some legitimacy. He was fit. He was sixth in expected weighted on base average out of all shortstops last season, the guys ahead of him, Tatis, Seager, Correa, Turner, Bogarts. The difference between his expected weighted on base average and his weighted on base average, his weighted on base average was 21 points higher than his expected. So right there in terms of expected slugging percentage, that's another key metric. 
he rated as third out of all shortstops, just behind Tatis Jr. and Correa. And then if we just look at how his percentiles rank amongst all players, he was in the 67th percentile in hard hit percentage. That aforementioned expected slugging, 80th percentile expected with on base average, as I mentioned, 77th. His barrel percentage was in the 77th percentile. It was 65, 65th percentile K percentage, 67th and walk percentage. So while he may not be a top tier talent at this point, like those guys in the top five, six list, I think that he showed he, that last season alone and the underlying metrics show that he can still produce at a very high level and that we shouldn't expect that much of a drop off next season. That's where I'm coming from with why I have him on my list. Yeah, and um, I definitely think that Crawford does have a place somewhere in this list. That could be like a miss by me. So, uh, like Baez, I I kind of totally wrote off, but Crawford, I'm you know gonna keep his name as an open, so to keep him like open to make the list later. Yeah. So I think now we should get into who our five through ones are, and then we can really dive into that part of the se- uh, the show where we rank our one through ten and. I'm sure that'll be fun. So, Mike, who do you have as your five through one? Uh, fifth, I have Xander Bogarts. Fourth, I have Carlos Correa. Third, Bo Bichette. Second, Trey Turner. And first, uh, Fernando Tatis. I got Lindor at five, Bogarts at four, Bichette at three, Turner at two, and Tatis Jr. at one. I have Correa at five, Bogarts at four, Seager at three, Turner at two, Tatis Jr. at one. All right. So I think for the most part, our probably top three to fours are very similar. Mike had Correa at four. I have Correa at five. Correa is at number six for you, Travis. You actually put Lindor in your top five ahead of Carlos Correa. I need you to explain that one for me. So I we talked about this a little bit off air before, um, but when I was looking at Lindor's um, stats, and I mean, just to touch on, you know, in 2018, 2019, he was the best shortstop in baseball, hands down for fantasy and probably even just in general. But um, and, and even if you go all the way back to 17, so he's got the potential and, and the capacity to be a very good shortstop. Um, you know, his plate discipline has always been great. Um, even through these recent struggles, his K percentage has only gone up 3% to 18.3%, which yes, when you compare it to a lot of the other guys on this list, isn't great, but it's still very good. Um, 11.1% walk percentage in 2021. Um, that's actually up from, you know, the, that's the highest it's ever been in his career. Um, when you look at stats like barrel percentage, I mean, 8.2% in 2021, that's the highest it's been since 2018 when he had 9.5%. Um, you know, his exit velocity is up as well to the 90.7%, which is even higher than what he was at at uh, 2018. I think it's the highest in his career um, going back to 2015. Um, and yes, the expected batting average isn't there, but ex- still expected weighted on base average. Uh, still 67th percentile expected slugging 65th percentile. And even when you go back through the, um, through his career, you know, that's pretty much in line with, except for when you go all the way back to 2017, that's still pretty much in line with what it's been in recent uh, seasons, you know, even with 2019 and 2018 as well. So 
I think a lot of the, and even again, hard hit percentage, 44.1%, that's the highest it's been in his career as well. So I, the underlying stats are there. And the fact that he was able to produce at such a high level without, um, you know, with having even lower stats. And I know I'm talking in terms of, you know, just a few percent, but again, the fact that these have increased is, is still impressive. And, um, you know, his, you know, his on-base percentage and his slugging percentage is a little bit off, but it, even in, in 2021, his on-base percentage was pretty close to what it was throughout his career. So all I'm trying to say is, I think he deserves to be, I, I, I can move him out of top five, out of the top five, but you know, the fact we had him at one last year or two, I think I moved him up to one um, just because I wasn't 100% uh, on Tatis Jr. But now I am anyways, that's another story. Um, I, I just think he deserves to be at the top part of this list just because of what he's shown throughout his career. And I don't think he's as bad as he was in 2021 um, I, I do think he can be, uh, you know, better. He's got the potential to be better. And when you compare him to a guy like Correa, we don't know where Correa is going. Um, yes, Correa is a great hitter, but you mentioned earlier in the podcast about uh, Baez hitting in Comerica. I, I don't know if Correa is going to go to New York just because of some of the stuff he said about the, the Yankees and Jeter and all that. Um, if he goes to, you know, Detroit, he's still going to have the same, um, he's going to be hitting in the same pitcher friendly park. So uh, his offensive stats are going to decline as well. And now I'm just assuming he's going to Detroit, but if he does go to Detroit, you know, Lindor's hitting in a significantly better lineup in a more, I'm not exactly sure if uh, city fields, a pitcher friendly or hitter friendly park, or if it's neutral, but I don't think it's a pitcher friendly park. Um, and nevertheless, he's going to be hitting towards the top of a, of a very good lineup with, you know, the additions that New York's already made and will most likely make, um, after the lockout. So I, I think everything's there for Lindor to improve. And I don't think you can just discount him after one and a half bad seasons. And, you know, I, I, I looked at the splits as well and he, he did improve uh, in the last two months of the season. He did improve significantly. Um, you know, September was his best month. So heading into this, you know, the, the start of this season, I think he will be better. And just, you know, to, to touch again on the different stresses that markets put on players. I mean, he's coming from Cleveland, which is a small market team to the New York Mets, which are one of the biggest market teams in baseball. So there's obviously going to be an adjustment period going from the shadows into the bright lights. So I think there were quite a few factors um, that did play into that as well as some conflicts with teammates. So I, I don't think 2021 was, it, it was a write-off year for him. I, I don't think it was, or it was or is going to be how he, um, you know, is going to be for the rest of his time in New York. And you as a Mets fan, Jeremy, I, I'm pretty sure you're thinking the same way, just or hoping at least um, that he's not going to perform like this for the rest of his career. And I don't think he will, especially like, I don't really think that three, four year stretch from 2016 to 2019 is going to be like, you know, the one hit wonder kind of thing, right? Like move. I don't think he's going to be a guy who switches teams and sucks is, is what I'm trying to say. I think he's going to go through that adjustment period, which we saw with a guy like Manny Machado heading out to San Diego. Um, and, you know, he, he wasn't very good 
compared to the rest of his career in his first year in San Diego. And then look at what he did in 2021. So I, I think there is an adjustment period for a lot of guys who, who go from small market teams to big market teams. Um, so yeah, I, I think Lindor, there can be a case made for Lindor to be top five based off of his past performance and the fact that a lot of his underlying metrics haven't decreased that much and most of them have actually gotten better. Yeah, I hear, I hear what you're saying, Travis, and you made some really key points there. But at the end of the day, you know, the reason why Lindor was included on our top five list was because of the defense and we're not including defense in this discussion. And to simply put it, both Correa and Bogarts were better than Lindor last season. And I think we expect them based on Lindor's performance over the last two seasons to be better on the offensive side of things, particularly I, I think you, so you put Lindor over Correa and with Correa's age with potential and then just outright with his production last season in terms of way to runs created plus Correa ranked fourth at 134 in weighted on base average Correa ranked sixth compared to Lindor who ranked I don't even where is Lindor on this list I don't think he's even does not uh let's see yeah, he even make the top 30. So, um, but yeah, so I think just considering the production that Correa put up last season, the, the production we expect him to put up, and yes, we don't know where he's going to play, but he's such an elite talent. And he's shown that when he is fully healthy, that is the only question mark really with Correa. Is he going to be healthy? Is he going to play a full season? The last two seasons, he's been fully healthy and we expect him to most likely be healthy next season. I can't, I just can't put Lindor over him based on what Lindor has done over the last two seasons. I just don't think it would be correct to do that. Yeah. I, yeah, agree. I, I, I understand. Sorry. I'll, I'll butt in for one second. I understand your, um, you know, your concern with the past few years. The reason, really the reason I put Lindor at five is just throughout his career as a whole, he's been a better player. That's then, then Korea um, from a, from a durability standpoint, and, you know, just from a general fantasy perspective, Lindor has been the better player. So, um, you know, I, I'm a fan of Lindor heading into 2021, but I, I understand why you wouldn't want to put him in the top five. Sorry, Mike. No, I mean, it's honestly even close. If they both debut at this, to the, the same year, but Korea has, has, um, has, has more career war. I think that this last season is kind of where officially closed that gap entirely with Korea getting over seven and Lindor having a down year. Um, yeah, for me, the you kept pushing on the fact that you know, Lindor's last two seasons shouldn't be enough to push him out still because of what he has done. But I think it honestly is just because of how good some of these shortstops are. Like we really know that Tatis Jr. and Trey Turner are going to be in the one and two. And it really leaves three slots. And I'm still taking Xander over uh, Lindor's offense. Correa, absolutely, over Lindor's offense. I'm taking Bichette over his offense. I'm taking Seager. I'm taking what Wander Franco is gonna, might be doing. And honestly, I'm still inclined to even take Trevor Story. This in terms of offensive, like straight offensive value. So uh, I think that Lindor is still an elite shortstop, and he's gonna. I do believe he's gonna rebound offensively. Just I'm 
more inclined to take the other guys ahead of him still. Yeah, Mike had Lindor at number nine, and I had Lindor at number eight. And I think that's a good initial area to, to put. I think he should be on this list. It's similar to the top five, maybe, in that it's really hard to not include Francisco Lindor. And that would be an injustice in this case. But also, he just – you can't put him – ahead of so many of these elite offensive talents who have been consistent and have done it recently. It's just, it's, it's really hard to do that. And then beyond that, in terms of metrics, Correa, because Correa is the guy that you did not include in your top five instead of Lindor, he rates better than Lindor in almost every metric in terms of expected batting average, expected weighted on base average, expected slugging percentage, max exit velocity, uh, Hard hit percentage, Correa ranks below Lindor. But walk percentage, Correa is slightly higher. K percentage, he's slightly higher. Uh, whiff percentage, he's better. All these things, Correa was better. And I think he's going to continue to be better because the underlying metrics say so. He's going to be a year younger than Lindor. That's not to say that Lindor is declining in any way. But that is not a factor in this case in terms of regression or decline. So again... I think that Correa at five or four would be a good spot. We'll get into the specifics there in a second. I guess that's really what we'll get into now, making our one through 10, uh, because that's what we've already been discussing. So to get into that discussion, Tatis is at one for all of us. So I think we're in agreement. Mike, would you say that Tatis at one is a surefire bet? Yeah, absolutely. It just makes him the this power, speed, the combination is unreal. Uh, in terms of this walk percentage, he's in the higher like echelon of shortstops. He does strike out a little bit more, but I don't think it really matters. Just with the fact that he has 40 home run power and is just the most dynamic player in baseball. Yeah, um, I, I'm in agreement with that. Uh, you know, the the fact that I believe in his, I, I've said this before, but in the first 162 games of his career, he had like, I think it was 50 home runs. Like, uh, it was ridiculous stats. I think it was close, like at least 50 home runs. He had a ridiculous amount of doubles. He had, you know, like 180 hits or something like that. Uh, I, I saw a tweet with it and, you know, just, I understand he's only really he hasn't really had one full season yet, but just what we've seen through the, the bits and pieces of his career, um, you know, if he has a full season, he could be the best player in baseball. I mean, in 130 games in 2021, he had 42 home runs, 97 RBIs, did strike out a lot. But again, he, he also walks a decent amount, so it kind of cancels out uh, to an extent. And it's not that much different from uh, a lot of the other guys in the league or on this list. Um, still, he steals bases. He, he does everything, right? Um, you guys pointed out, I like that speed power combo. Well, he's one of the guys who's kind of at the forefront of that, um, you know, probably more so than Trey Turner, who's number two, going to be number two on our list. But, um, you know, imagine if he had played 150 games, he could have reached 50 home runs. Um, so, you know, I, I just think for him, it's, it's a health thing. Um, and I mean, he, he kind of got screwed over because he got called up at a bad time. He got called up in 2019, got hurt. And then 2020 was a shortened season and then got hurt again in 2021. Um, but if his shoulder can stay intact and, you know, everything kind of falls in line for him, I think he's going to be potentially the best um, player in all of fantasy baseball. 
I have some some crazy stats for you about him. His hard hit percentage was 55.6%. The next closest player shortstop was Corey Seager at 49.3%. His barrel percentage was 12.8%. Next closest guy was Eugenio Suarez for shortstops at 8.9%. So he's just heads and above, uh, heads and tails above the rest of the pack. Average exit velocity, 93.9 miles per hour, just way better than everyone else. And as you, as the, this power speed combo that you're talking about, the power alone would make him number one on this list. But the fact that he can also go and steal bases is ridiculous. And he is definitely the number one fantasy shortstop. Now, moving to number two, we all also had Trey Turner. And what's distinct about Trey Turner is that he has that power speed combo and he might not have that power that Tatis has, but his speed is elite. It is the best in all of baseball. Or maybe you could say, okay, one of the best if you want to put some breaks on it. And if you were to look at, you know, for example, weighted runs created plus, he had a weighted runs created plus of 142 and his OPS was 911, but that's not even counting stolen bases in that OPS. And his ISO was 208, while Corey Seegers, who's probably the next closest guy, 215. That what, what Trey Turner brings to the table in terms of his speed is just not really rivaled by any of the comparable players in this range of the list. And so that's why I think he has to be there at number two. Yeah, I agree. Just the way how dynamic he is, is needs to be there. Um, for three, I know, I think I had in the highest subway. That's where I had Pichette. And when I look at Pichette, I almost see him as like the American League version of Trey Turner, where like this, the numbers that they put out, especially last year, are just so similar. And, uh, Turner has him beat in some places, but Bichette has him beat in others. Like, but Bichette has a little bit more power, uh, but Turner has more speed. I think Turner had a few more doubles, but uh, like two, like one or less home runs. I think Bichette hasn't beat badly in the RBI area, but just kind of where they are in the lineups. But with Bichette with Toronto, Turner with the Dodgers, both of them are going to be in like very like big run producing uh, spots. And Bichette is a guy who, you know, he got hurt during the rookie year. Um, or oh, I think he came up late in the rookie year, but he was uh, amazing. He was having a very good uh, start to 2020 before he got hurt. And then last year, he was healthy the entire year. And he put together like a monster season. And because of that, I have him above Korea because of just, again, I'm huge on like the diversity of his game where he is like a power speed guy, uh, like a 30-30 threat. Uh, and then he also has a bunch of doubles and he loved the American League and hits last year. Yep. I also have Bichette at three on my list as well. I believe he is the, oh, he's the youngest guy on this list tied with Tatis Jr. Um, and yeah, it, it, exactly for the same reasons Mike said, um, you know, they hit it, very similar stats to uh, Trey Turner in uh, 2021. And, you know, I, he got unlucky in 2020 with that injury, but again, he showed he could rebound in 2021 um, and play 159 games. He's hitting in that Toronto lineup surrounded by guys like Vladdy Jr., George Springer, Teoscar Hernandez, um, you know, the massive power guys, whether he's hitting in front of them or behind them, he's going to have a ton of RBI opportunities or run scored opportunities, um, gets a 
boatload of hits and I, I really don't see anything that's saying he will not replicate his production in 2021 and I because he's 23 I think he will actually get better um, than what we've seen in 2021 and throughout his career because he actually has been very good throughout his career uh see I have Corey Seager at number three and I think that we are really undervaluing just how good offensively Corey Seager is, how elite he is offensively. And I know we were talking about this before the podcast, the injury thing, the, the, the fact that he has missed out of the, out of the last four seasons in 2018, he only played 26 games and he had Tommy John surgery. And then he was able to come back in 2019 and he wasn't quite as good as he had been, but then 2020, he was elite 2021. He was just as good. He was phenomenal. I mean, his on-base percentage last season was 394. No one on this list even comes comes close to that besides maybe Tatis. And I, I just think that Seager's offensive tool set is almost as good as Tatis in, term, in terms of power, in terms of walk percentage. Uh, and the fact that Seager doesn't really strike out, actually. I mean, that's his, his, his strikeout-to-walk ratio would be the best on this list. Best out of any shortstop. It's 0. 0.73. Uh, his slash line, 306, 394, 520, 521, just elite. His ISO, 215, weighted runs created plus is the highest out of any shortstop. And again, this is, all, well, highest besides uh, Tatis, rather. But again, this is, we're, we're talking about purely the offensive side of the game. And if we're talking about defense too, and this is the same reason why Seager, did not make our top five shortstop list. And yes, that then Seager is not going to, to, to be in the top five, but I think that he is so good offensively that he needs to be in this top five. And I'm taking, he's only going to be 27 years old next season. And we're talking about the, the youth of Bo Bichette. Bo Bichette's going to be 24. That's a two year, well, three year age gap right there. It's not really that big. Seager's not going to regress anytime soon. He may even produce more power last season in only 95 games, Seager was able to hit 16 home runs. In 2020, in only 52 games, he had 15 home runs. That power is almost as good as Tatis. And while he might not steal bases, and maybe that makes a difference, he is a force. He's a force at the plate. Yeah, I mean, there's no denying that. And he is a lead, but there, he also does have an injury history. Well, lucky no, or, here, here's lucky or unlucky. Lucky here's, or unlucky doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter though. It it really does matter. It's not, this is not a history because again, he had the Tommy John surgery. He's over that. That only affects his defensive side of the game where, as I mentioned, he's definitely not the best and maybe he has work to do there. But this past season, he got hit on the hand. That's why he missed time. But then he came back and he was still Corey Seager. He's still elite. He would have been in the MVP discussion had he not got hit on the hand. And if we're talking about, as I mentioned, Tim Anderson earlier, his injury history, he has those soft muscle injuries. He has the hamstring injuries. That's not what Corey Seager is dealing with. That's not what we're talking about here. So I find it hard. It, there needs to be nuance to saying that someone has injury problems. It can't, it's not just, oh, he's an injury, he's an injury bugged guy, and we have to discount him for that. There are different types of injuries, and his injuries are not concerning for me going forward. Understood. Yeah, that, I understand that, yeah. And, you know, do I think Seager is a great shortstop? Yes, I had him on, I believe, 
two or three of the five fantasy teams I had last year. So obviously I'm high on him. I, I just, I really like Bichette and, you know, you were talking about his on-base percentage that's through 95 games. So when you compare him to a guy like Bichette who played 159, that's, you know, 60 games that, you know, you're, you're just that he didn't play in. And I understand he was hurt. Yes. But when you also look back through his career, uh, you know, 2016 played 157 games on base percentage, 365. Um, 2017 was the closest he's ever come to a 394 um, on base percentage, which is what he had in 2021, 2017, he played 45 games, 375. And then if we go over to 2019, 134 games, 335. So I'm not saying that he is going to decline over or he would have declined if he had played those 60 games. I'm just saying that throughout his career, we haven't seen him reach this total. And the fact that he only played 95 games does tell me that it probably would decline to a certain extent based off of the larger, what we've seen through the larger sample sizes in his career. Um, and yeah, you know, you said it yourself, Jeremy, he doesn't steal bases. The fact that Bichette can go out and steal 25 bags and still put up 90 hits, which is what we've seen Seager at, at his best, um, you know, put up 29 home runs, which is also, I believe more than what anything Seager's had in his career. Could he have matched that in 2021 if he played 60 games? Probably, but would he have stolen 25 bags? Definitely not because he only stole one, um, attempted to, but got caught stealing once and the other thing about Bichette too doesn't get caught stealing a whole lot um you know 2019 he stole four bags got caught stealing four times 2021 stole four bags got caught stealing once in 2021 stole 25 bags and only got caught stealing once so for me that's a huge um thing and and something that really sticks out to me is if he's stealing bags you're guaranteed to get those bags from him it's not like a guy like you know we talked about tim anderson earlier who steals bases but he's always top of the league in terms of caught stealing um whether it's you know especially in 2021 stole 18 bags and got caught stealing seven times bichette doesn't get caught stealing a whole lot and then again um you know Bichette had a 343 on base percentage, which is still respectable. And, you know, when we compare that to Seager, um, you know, throughout his career, it's 367. So yes, Seager gets on base more, but again, you know, Bo also hits for just as high of an average as Seager as well. Um, So I, I really think Bichette's got the, the, advantage in terms of stolen bases and the security that you have surrounding that. I understand Seager does have the better plate discipline, but again, this is something I've seen with a ton of young guys. Um, You know, again, Bichette is only 23. Uh, I do think his plate discipline will improve and it has improved throughout his career. Um, You know, his K percentage has come down 4% since 2019 and, um, you know, I, I do believe his walk percentage will come up as well. Um, give him a few more years. And I think he's going to be, um, you know, probably hovering around the 10% mark. Um, Seeger and Bichette for years are, they, you know, years to come are going to be uh, fighting each other for that three, four spot. Um, but I, I do think as of right now, Bichette does have the advantage just in terms of the stolen bases and, yeah. yeah, I mean, like I said, I I really view 
Bichette as the American League version of Trey Turner. If you just look at their statistics side by side, like they're very identical in terms of like the their hits. They both score a lot of runs. They both are both three doubles. Both um high twenties, have potential of thirty home runs. And with Bichette too, he drove in a hundred runs last year, twenty five stolen bases. So I mean, he does a little bit of everything. And um with uh, uh Seager, he's there's no doubt like that his bat is elite and I, I do think that you have persuaded me to you know uh write him in a higher position than I had him but I, I still don't know if I can put him in the in the top five just because I'm looking at we already have one and two done. I, I just I view Bichette that highly and I I still feel more comfortable putting Correa and then Xander Bogart over Corey Seeger. I will say one thing that is important is the fact that Bichette does bat in the most prolific lineup in baseball, what I think is going to be the most prolific lineup in baseball. And Seager is going to be in a lineup that in all honesty, I mean, again, it depends on what the Rangers do for the rest of the off season. That lineup is not going to be very good. And he's not going to have as many scoring opportunities, as many runs to drive in. And while he may go out there and have this great season where he hits a lot of home runs, the RBI totals aren't going to be there with Bichette's. The run score totals aren't going to be there. Maybe even the, not that he steals bases, but any opportunities for that, not as many. So with, with all that being said, um, yeah, I, I mean, I can, I guess I can give in. But uh, I'm still in my own draft. I'm going to take Seager over Bichette. But yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we could we could put Bichette higher on, on this list at at number three. That's fine with me, I guess. I and mean, then... Jeremy, how many <laughs> how many players? I, I have to look it up. I mean, Bichette literally scored 121 runs and drove in 102. Like no, how I many players? That. I get that. Have, there's not a lot of players that have that like have those numbers. Like not even Tat- I know Tatis played 130 games, but Tatis didn't even get there. No, like, a... like I said, the, the lineup around the player, especially for fantasy, does make a bigger difference. And while I do think next season, Corey Seager is going to be the better individual player in terms of the value that he accrues in terms of just pure fantasy purposes, which is the purpose of this discussion, then yeah, Bichette should rank higher. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so with Bichette three, now with four, uh, Jeremy, you, this is where you and I had a Correa. You had him at five. I'm at four. Mm-hmm. So I think that Correa has to be in discussion right here. Um, same with Xander Bogarts. I think, where did you guys have him? I, I had Bogarts at five. I prefer Bogarts over Correa just because of the consistency from Bogarts and, and, and the fact that um, his on-base skills are just a little bit better than Correa's. We know what lineup Bogarts is going to be hitting in. It's going to be a good lineup. And just it's just that right now, it, it seems like just a, a safer bet. Um, and in terms of injury history, I think Carlos Correa's injury history in particular, that one is a bit concerning because of those leg injuries. And while he has been healthy the last couple of seasons, Bogarts has been just, again, that model of consistency. And last season, he was he was so good offensively. Him and Correa were pretty much neck and neck. Bogarts is slightly older, but and is well again defensively. If we were talking about just pure who's better, then maybe I'm taking Correa. But I, I just like Bogarts better in this situation. Um, yeah, you 
you brought up a lot of the same points that I had. So I had Bogarts at four. You brought up a lot of the same points for why I had him at four. Um, the key thing for me is he's played in Boston since 2013. Um, you know, he's played in the same park. You know what you're going to get from him. Uh, I'll be quick because I know Mike wants to jump in. But, um, yeah, just the general consistency that he has had since, you know, he, he started playing a large volume of games in 2024 or 2014. Um, he's a guy who can reach 600 at bats. Um, he's a guy who, who has, the, you know, who's shown he can hit 50 doubles um, and, and get 190 hits. Uh, I, I just think he's significantly underrated in a shortstop position that's very deep. And I understand that because the guys ahead of him are better than him. But again, he's just a guy who gets significantly underrated. I love to show him some love. That's why I have him at number four. Um, but again, he's, you know, uh, Jeremy mentioned his on-base skills. Uh, you know, he hasn't dipped below 360, an on-base percentage of 360 since uh, 2017, I believe, when he had an on-base percentage of uh, 343. But I mean, that's the lowest it's been in his career since 2014. So, um, you know, I, I think Bogarts is in the prime of his career. You know, he's 29. Um, I, I really think what we've seen over the past three seasons tw since 2019 is what we're going to get from him again in 2022. Um, honestly, I would not be shocked if he's a guy who goes out and gets 190 hits, uh, 50 doubles, and 30 home runs again with 100 plus RBIs in 2022. So I, I really like him in that four spot, uh, unless somebody has something to, uh, you know, say about that. I really like him in that four spot. Yeah, I if you look at their numbers side by side, they're like again, they almost near each other. It's similar to that uh discussion we had at third base. Um, so with Correa, uh run scored, he had 104 to Borgards is 90 hits. Borgards had one more, 156, 155. Uh doubles were the same at 34, triples were the same at one, home runs. Correa had three more, 26-23. RBIs, Correa had 92. Bogarts had 79. Stolen bases, Bogarts steals a few bags. Correa doesn't really steal any anymore. And you mentioned the on-base skills. Uh, Correa actually is looks like he could be developing into more of a better on-base guy. I know we've seen certain things in his career, but this last season, when we go off that, he had more walks. Um had 13 more walks, 75 to 62, and only three more strikeouts. So his strikeout to walk ratio actually is better than Bogart's. And then this Amelia slash line, Bogart's has, has a better batting average, uh, has higher on base, and had a higher slugging. So, I mean, there is, like, some things that way that kind of maybe chop it in his favor. So it's really, again, like a flip of a coin. I just had Correa because I think that his counting numbers all – like all up when I added up in my head, I feel like his like plus fancy numbers were just attack higher than Bogart's, but they're really identical when it comes down to it. Again, this is the discussion uh, about what team they're going to be playing on and the uncertainty there versus what we know where Bogart is going to play and what he's going to bring to the table. That's the reason I think that gives them the slight edge. As you mentioned, Mike, they're really close offensively, you know, almost, almost identical. But the consistency factor, the health factor, and the certainty factor on the Bogart side. Whereas with Correa, he may, I don't know, who, who knows what team he's going to sign with. He could go sign with the Detroit Tigers in a pretty subpar lineup. Or he could go sign with the Yankees in a, a, a pretty solid lineup. But he's not going back to the Astros. We know that. 
So runs scored, RBIs, there is uncertainty there. There is not that with Bogarts. But fair. <clears throat> so with that, I think the first six are set in stone then with Tatis, Turner, Bichette. Well, maybe it's the first five. Yeah, Bichette three, Xander four, and Correa five. And oh, and then a Seeger six. Yeah, I think Seeger at six is – I wouldn't go any lower than that. Yeah, so Seeger at six. So now it's the back half of the uh, guys. I mean, I have a, a lot of people available. Yeah, we got half the half the short stops in the league right now to talk about here in the back half. So starting at number seven, uh, Mike, you had Franco at six. Travis omitted Franco, and then I had Franco at at nine. So somewhere between six and nine, I think, is a good range to put him. Obviously, the potential is out of this world. He is as talented as anyone else on this list. The only thing against him is, of course, the body of work. But I'm not going to hold that against him. And last season, even in that body of work, in the 281 at-bats, he put up a 129 OPS plus, slash off 288, 347, 463. And I, th- I think that he's going to be way better than that this coming season. I think that that's just... That's the floor. And if that's the floor, then I think that number seven is a good spot for him. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that just the player that he could be, like he was like, he tied the record for most consecutive games where rookie gets on base. Like he's just getting the job done. And I'm just looking like, he's like a, a very quick player. So that the two steals is something that is, uh, seems low in the 70 games, but I do think he can get double digit steals. He's going to be in the heart of that Rays lineup, so he's going to produce a lot of runs. He was very uh, diversified with his extra base hits. So I, I think that there's a lot of things that can go right for him. And even though he only had 70 games, I think that us finally seeing him at the major league level is enough for him to be on this list. Any contentions, yeah, Travis? It, I, I mean, I'm not going to argue with you guys. I'm in complete agreement. The other thing about, I'll just touch on the stolen bases. Yeah, you're, you're right. Two stolen bases is low. Um, but again, he's 20. Um, and stealing bases in the major leagues is tough. Um, and the fact that he's so young and doing what he's doing in the major leagues right now at 20 years old is absolutely absurd. Um, I mean, I myself, I'm 19 and I could not come anywhere close to that. So, you know, that's insane. And, and like I said, stealing bases in the major leagues is tough. It's something that you have to learn how to do. You can't just be fast um, to, to do it. He does, have, he does rank in the 85th percentile for sprint speed, according to Savant. So, um, you know, he is fast and he's got the speed. It's just learning how to do it and the uh, kind of the, the mental aspects behind it. Um, whether you're timing up the pitcher um, or, or looking at the catcher or whatever, there, there's a few ways to do it. But it's all about um, the, the mental aspect and, and really thinking of how to do it and not just having speed, um, you know, back in the minor leagues, you can get away with, um, you know, just having speed, but at the major leagues, when you're running off of the best pitchers and the best catchers and guys who are throwing 95 plus um, it, it's very tough to do. So I, my point is I do expect the stolen bases to increase. And with a guy who ranks in the 85th percentile, I, you know, for sprint speed, I don't think it's completely out of the ordinary for him to 
or out of the out of the blue for him to you know have a 20 stolen base season once he figures out uh how to steal bases at the major league level and again the other thing is too he does play for the rays i'm not sure exactly what the rays philosophy is on stolen bases um but i do expect um that to increase as you know we uh as he plays more seasons and gets older in the major leagues yeah so we're in agreement there franco at seven at number eight uh i'm in favor of putting trevi's trevor story there just because of the uncertainty with everyone else behind that who we possibly have up in the air here i think that while he did have a down season and there are some somewhat concerning underlying metrics everything else that story brings to the table between his power his speed which none of these other guys consistently steal as many bases as Story can and will. He's only going to be 29 years old. He might play more positions besides shortstop. He's going to have a versatility that no one else on this list will probably even bring to the table. That holds a lot of value for me. So I like Story at eight. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yep, yeah, Story, I would agree with that. Uh, and then I think Lindor has to go nine. Yep. And then now it's going to come down to, do we want Crawford? Do we want Anderson? Do we want Adames in that 10th spot? Um, and that's where it becomes interesting. Adames is the most intriguing because we saw his uh, home and away splits, and he just couldn't hit at Tropicana. But yeah. he can mash everywhere else. And once he got traded and he was not hitting at Tropicana anymore, he became the offensive force that we, kind of, a lot of people kind of thought he would turn into. So – with him, his first, you know, first complete season with the the Brewers is going to be very exciting to see, and that's what kind of makes him appealing. With Crawford, you're looking at a guy who's going to be 35, but has had by far the best year of his career, and he really seems to have unlocked something. And that Giants team is very much the same, and going to be a force to be reckoned with there. And then with TA, you're going to be going with the guy who really since that 2019 season has been one of the best offensive leadoff guys in the game. TA, um, TA is, is a compiler. You know, he's he might not have a, as high of a ceiling as anyone else that you just mentioned, but he just compiles a lot of value. He compiles so many hits. And, I, you know, I don't know. It's it's definitely an interesting discussion. I think Adamas is the highest ceiling out of all of them. And when he yeah. did go to the Brewers, for, for the 99 games that he was with the Brewers, he put up a slash on 285, 366, 521 for an 886 OPS, 135 OPS plus. He had 20 home runs in those 99 games. So the question is, is that the guy who Adamas is? Because if it is, then he has to be our number 10. But if he's something more of what he was in in 2020 and 2021 with the Rays, where he was a, a guy who put up a slash line of 261, 336, 481 for a uh, 816 OPS, 122 OPS plus, then, then probably not. So what do you guys think? Uh, so the way I view it is, yeah, Adonis is the highest ceiling. Crawford is like the best the biggest risk reward type of guy and TA is the most consistent and reliable. Yeah. So you kind of where you go with it. Um, damn, this is so hard. I kind of like Adamus there. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm talking myself into Adamus, but Crawford and Anderson are appealing. Yeah, no, they are. This is so tough. 
Crawford has such a good year too. It's it's really tough. The, the shortstop is just so stacked. Um, any, any feedback from any of the guys? Jeremy's or Don Mesh Travis? What are you who are you leaning towards? I'll take the upside. Um, I'll take Adamas. Uh, he's he's a guy who, uh, you know, we talked about Anderson, and I guess he, he does play quite a few games when you compare him to some of the other guys on this list. But again, the, the reoccurring hamstring injuries and uh, are pretty big. And, you know, if stolen bases is where he gets a lot of his fantasy value from on top of the hits that he provides. Um, but if his fantasy value really comes from hits, doubles, and stolen bases – and you have reoccurring hamstring injuries, you're going to suffer in doubles. You're going to suffer in stolen bases. Um, so I'm going to take Adamas because I really like um, what he showed he can do with Milwaukee. Um, and I think there is a lot to improve off of that. You know, when a guy figures out how to hit at home, um, there's a lot more he can do with his game um, than, you know, uh, what he was doing before with Tampa, right? I, so, I, th- I was going to say, I think, too, just as I said, that baseline of what he was on Tampa, even the last two seasons, a 122 OPS plus guy, that's not bad at all. If that's what he ends up being and you're going for that upside at 10, then I think that's well worth the risk of him being the 135 OPS plus guy. He's only going to be 26 years old. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to go with Adamas as well. I think the breaking point for me is just when you look at his walk to strikeout ratio when he goes to Milwaukee, like he only, he only played in just about uh, like a, a double the games roughly. You know, it's like 120 percent of the games, and his walk rate increased to like 400 percent. Yeah, and his strikeout rate cut down enough. Like that, that's enough of a difference as it shows like how like legit he can be. And because of that, I I think that I have to go with Adamas. I think. Well, the fact I just think that he's gonna wind up having a better season in TA. So it's decided then. That is our APT top ten fantasy shortstops. Number one, Fernando Tatis Jr., number two, Trey Turner, three, Bo Bichette, four, Xander Bogarts, five, Carlos Correa, six, Corey Seeger, seven, Wander Franco, eight, Trevor Story, nine, Francisco Lindor, ten, Willie. Adamus. Now for some honorable mentions. I'll start off with the guys that we discussed already that were in contention for the back half of that list. Tim Anderson is definitely right there. Brandon Crawford is right there. Javi Baez probably behind both of them. And then a couple of other guys that were in consideration at some points. Dansby Swanson and one more, Paul DeYoung. Yeah, um, for me, uh, Josh Rojas is one on Arizona. He was supposed to break out last year. Didn't quite get to that point, um, but I do think things are looking good for him heading into this season. He's a young guy who should be able to do some damage. Another guy, Luis Urias on uh, Milwaukee. Um, he does have multi-positional eligibility. I'm not sure... Um, especially with the addition of Willie Adamas, how much shortstop he did play in uh, 2021, but definitely has that shortstop eligibility along with other infield positions. So he is valuable. Um, uh, one guy, Nicky Lopez, doesn't 
hit a lot of home runs, um, doesn't get a lot of RBIs either because he is hitting at the top of that Kansas City, City Royals lineup. But if you are looking for stolen bases and low risk with a low plate discipline, uh, or sorry, high plate discipline, low K percentage, uh, he's another guy who I really like. Um, and then, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Everybody else after that, in my opinion, is kind of, uh, you know, bottom tier, pick them up for a week while they're hot. Um, you know, Ahmed Rosario, Miguel Rojas. Uh, Rojas did have a good, uh, a pretty good season in 2021. He did get hurt, only played 132 games, but uh, he is a guy who can be sneaky good at times um, and fill that void for you. Um, other than that, I mean, we talked about Jazz Chisholm Jr. in our second base Um episode i do believe he does have shortstop eligibility in fantasy baseball and he is the guy to look out for because he can be or has the potential to be a very good um middle infielder nikki lopez and danzy swanson actually rated both in the top 10 for ops for qualified shortstops last season which is which is pretty interesting but because neither guy was even in the discussion at all until right now for this honorable mention part of the episode and I think that's because they each have some very big weaknesses for Swanson. His on-base skills are just not that great, but he has a lot of power, hit 27 home runs last season. For Lopez, it's almost the complete opposite, where he has no power, but he has good on-base skills, good bat-to-ball skills. And that's how they ended up with OPSs about the same, 760 for Swanson, 743 for Lopez. But neither guy, because of those weaknesses, is going to end up on this list. But Certainly decent options in the back half if you really need a shortstop or your shortstop gets injured. You can't really go wrong with either of those guys. So, yeah, I think that's that's pretty much it, Travis and Mike. Uh, that is our top 10 fantasy shortstops. I'll repeat it one more time. Fernando Tatis Jr. at one, Trey Turner two, Bobichette three, Xander Bogarts four, Carlos Correa five, Seeger six, Franco seven, Story eight, Lindor 9, Adamus 10. Thanks for listening to this episode of the America's Pastime Podcast. Hope you enjoyed. Tune in next time for our top 15 fantasy outfielder list. That one is going to be a long and I'm sure eventful episode as these recent ones have been. I hope you've enjoyed the back and forth, how you know tensions get high at sometimes, but of course. We're just talking about players here. We're just, uh, you know, we have a lot of passion. That's all that's going on here. And tune in next time.